0: I'm not gonna start with any easy questions.
1: What would you do if you couldn't fail?
0: I was vulnerable in the sense of I was just who I was.
1: The, the cold exposure conditions the
0: inside of our body to literally adapt. Whatever happens in the gut happens in the brain and whatever happens in the brain happens in the gut.
1: Finding the grace and the humor. that anti-aging is associated with at least an hour of deep sleep nightly. Absolutely had mentors, absolutely 100% had coaches. 90 plus percent of the decisions that we make today actually stem from fear. Allow ourselves to have imperfection. Nothing starts without a plan, nothing ever goes to plan. Chaga is actually the most antioxidant
0: rich food on the planet. If we can bring a practice into our lives that helps us be more vulnerable. I'm so thrilled that this content is getting out there, that you guys are are promoting
1: bold and vulnerable message and and aspirations for people, because I hope that we can all really live that every day.
0: Hey, this is Jessica. It's Svetlana, and you're listening to the Bold and Vulnerable Podcast, where we aim to inspire others to live authentically through sharing the bold and vulnerable stories of peak performers across a variety of industries. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. My go-to products are the Lion's Mane Coffee, Reishi, Cordyceps, and Chaga Elixirs, and the 10 mushroom blend that I add to my post-workout plant protein smoothies. They also just launched a new protein powder of their own that I am pumped to try. Head to foursigmatic.com and when you check out, use our discount code, all caps, bold and vulnerable. Enjoy your products. As physician and owner of Essential Health and Wellness, Dr. Elizabeth Sirakowski is committed to an atmosphere of warmth and the pursuit of excellence in primary care. These qualities help patients achieve whole and lasting wellness through optimization of the body and integration of the mind and spirit. Dr. Sirakowski earned both her Bachelor of Science in Biological Sciences and Doctor of Medicine from the University of Connecticut. She completed the integrative medicine in residency during her family medicine training at the University of Arizona and is board certified in family medicine. She is fellowship trained in integrative medicine through AZCIM and is pursuing fellowship in anti-aging, regenerative, and functional medicine through A4M, anticipating board certification in both integrative and functional medicines. She carries certificates in functional endocrinology, mitochondrial health, Bioidentical hormonal replacement therapy, and an array of integrative modalities. Before joining EHW, Dr. Sirikowski was influenced by her work as a hospitalist, emergency, and primary care physician in the great American West, and as a pediatrician in the New England Coastal Private Practice. She is a member of the American Academy of Family Practice and the American Academy of Anti-Aging and Regenerative Medicine, Professionally, her interests include preventative wellness, care of children and adults, addressing exhaustion and burnout, and gut microbiome rehabilitation. She and her husband, Jonathan, enjoy traveling, adventures in the kitchen, and playing with their golden doodle pup, Zelda. Please welcome Dr. Elizabeth to the show. If you're just tuning in, this is actually our second episode with Dr. Elizabeth. So if you are interested in hearing the first half of our conversation, on burnout and sleep cycles and much, much more, please go to our previous episode. But if you're here to learn about gut microbiome and other things within the functional and integrative healthcare, then stay right where you are and enjoy this conversation with Dr. Elizabeth. All right, I wanna switch gears to some juicy things gut microbiome my favorite <laughs> yes <laughs> I wanted to because I know that you've I mean you were diagnosed with IBS right uh, and I'm air quoting that but I want to talk <laughs> about I want to talk about the gut and get really nitty-gritty into women's health and vaginal health and just common questions that you get with the gut and what you've learned oh
1: that is amazing and a huge topic <laughs> yes. so the gut is the foundation of everything and i mean i I have very rarely when i really sit and talk with a patient do i find someone who has perfect intestinal health right somebody who um eats meals on a regular basis the body knows what to expect but they're still having variety somebody who takes a few breaths before each meal and allows the smells and the sights of that food to enter their body and begin the digestive process where you start to upregulate your enzymes. Someone who's chewing appropriately and not drinking too much water with their meals and they're eating with company and not at your desk um, in order to, to, to begin the carbohydrate digestion process in the mouth and have it pass through to the stomach where stomach acid is sufficient and you're digesting your proteins and killing off any bacteria or parasites, fungus, mold, um, that that then churns and processes to the small intestine. The pancreas is doing its job with pancreatin and lipase. The gallbladder is functional and ejecting the right amount of bile to help us break down fats, that all of that moves forward with Ease, you know, that you don't have bacterial overgrowth way up high in your intestine, that you don't feel like you've had a pit in your stomach at the end of a meal, especially if it's meat based, um, that you don't get bloated while you're eating if it's really bad or or within an hour or so after eating, you know, no one's having to undo or unbutton pants or feel tight or stretched or uncomfortable, no one's having food coma after eating. Um, All of these are signs of dysregulation, and then that 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 food makes it to the large intestine where there's plenty of of very diverse bacteria that are doing their jobs to break down what's left. Everything we couldn't absorb then gets transformed and metabolized into other forms that we can use. And we get even more B vitamins that way. And vitamin D, uh, our thyroid hormone is being turned into active in the gut as well. Um, Estrogens being metabolized and then excreted that way. You know, all of these things are happening and essentially the person then has one to three log-shaped, brown, normal, not floating, not falling apart, not bloody, no mucus, no undigested food except corn. People just don't digest that, so don't worry. But other things, (laughs) you know, (laughs) very, very few people are accomplishing that um, and not needing to sit on the toilet for longer than a couple of minutes at the most, and and it should kind of be a one-and-done situation without, you know... And we're just going to get into it without lots and lots of wiping or needing wet wipes um, you know, to clean oneself or, or having a difficulty flushing what's, hap- what's come out of your body. Because it, ultimately, things that are floating, things that are falling apart, things with obviously blood, please go talk to somebody quickly, um, mucus, undigested food, the, the sort of fatty, streaky, oily, none of that is, is a healthy stool. And where all this comes back to, if you really dial it back, we think about compost and plants. And this is my favorite way to talk about the gut because it's really accurate. Um, and most people are pretty familiar with what compost is. You, you don't put garbage in there. You do put, um, you know, ideally organic, but food waste products, things that would break down. And what is it, right? You just put it in a pile. Um, you need some fresh wet things like banana peels and eggshells, and you need some dry stuff like dead dry leaves. And you alternate those. And over time, all of that breaks down with bacteria and fungus and parasites and other things in the in the earth that turn that into dirt, into this amazing, amazing fertile topsoil. Um, and that can then be used to to garden and, uh, in a very healthy and productive way, and plants will grow their roots down into soil, and you think about, you know, there's sort of a big root and littler ones and littler ones and littler ones until you get to these teeny, teeny little hairs on the very ends of roots, and those are what are sort of one-celled wall things that are that are pulling in our nutrients from the soil and feeding them back up into the plant. And we are essentially that, right? We have We are plants who have taken all our roots and tucked them up inside our bodies. Um, we eat food entering them into our compost cycle. We have some added benefit of, of acid and enzymes to help start that process. Uh, But ultimately it needs to get down to that soil where bacteria do their job and break down what's left and turn it into pretty healthy compost. Um, Except that's not what we do. (laughs) And we have much more like a swamp than a healthy compost. Um, but basically mouth all the way through to the anus is outside of our bodies. We carry it around with us for convenience, but we have to there's, – there's sort of a customs and, and border patrol all the way through that entire system. Um, so anytime there's dysregulation, that's the root of most illness, it is argued, because if pathogens can get in and nutrients are not getting in, and large proteins, and things that we can react to and begin um, the process of allergy and sensitivity and become irritated and and be exposed to irritants and have pathogens that should be gotten rid of now in our bloodstream where they don't belong, causing inflammation and all kinds of problems. That's the root of, of much, much, much illness. And so instead, we think back about, well, then how do we have a healthy compost? How do we help those enzymes and the stomach acid do its job. And this can get a little bit complicated. So if there are particular issues like, you know, someone says, well, I have reflux and the treatment is acid, but I have acid. And why are you giving me acid? (laughs) You know, it it can be more of a complex uh, discussion. So I do want to make sure that people are talking with someone who knows what they're doing rather than uh, following some algorithm on the internet, because you can't hurt yourself. Uh, Similar with probiotics, they can be very helpful, but they can also be harmful depending on what you have going on. You don't want to overfeed the wrong strains, Uh, And there are some that are associated with, excuse me, that are better for like, I have diarrhea because I went to Mexico versus I have diarrhea because I had antibiotics versus I'm constipated all the time and I don't know what's going on. Uh, Different things are helpful in different situations. But what we can all do is take 10 breaths before you eat, smell your food and look at it, and prepare and, and I take that as like your moment of gratitude, right? But preparing the body to eat is really important. Not scarfing is really important. You don't have to, I don't know, chew 32 times or whatever that all the adage is, but at least chew your food. Um, eating with some re- level of regularity is really helpful because if the, the body works on a clock, just like sleep, if it knows that every day at 6.30 you have coffee with MCT oil and butter and collagen in it, then it's going to upregulate a little bit of lipase, a little bit of bile, a little bit of stomach acid to prepare for that meal. And then if one day you have waffles, (laughs) your blood sugar will probably spike. You won't be quite prepared for that. Or if another day you're skipping a meal or all over the map, and sometimes you have breakfast and sometimes you don't, and sometimes it's sausage and sometimes it's a bagel, that's really hard for the body to prepare ahead of time because we don't have, other than the bile that's in your gallbladder bag, right? We don't have bags of enzymes that sort of squirt out on demand. It's, we have to, to make them because the body's very efficient. Um, So that means that it, it needs time and it needs expectations set kind of like a toddler. So, so be kind to your body, give it its best shot, be aware that it takes time and it takes um, reliability to, do it's very best.
0: Yeah, and the bacteria in our gut not only responds the same way as neurochemicals in our brain, but it's also controlling homeostasis in our gut system, so we have to be really careful about the absorption of anything that we're putting into our system because it, again, it can impact your immune system and probably almost everything, right? It's probably connected to everything. everything. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, blood flow, absorption. I mean, anything with your gut microbiome can be messed up if you don't have these habits that you're forming and preparing your body for the good stuff. It doesn't mean you can't have a treat every once in a while, but it's, again, like you said, it's not preparing your body for the best. I love it. Are there any common questions that you get in terms of women's health, vaginal health, having to do with probiotics? Because I know that that's kind of a big topic. Mm -hmm. And you just mentioned probiotics, so I wanted to throw it out there.
1: Yeah. um, There is not really a common question that I get with women's health. It's pretty much all over the map. And Mm -hmm. what's hard for me as a provider is there's so much that I feel like there are not very good resources to go and ask the questions, right? But it's, I mean, it's everything from if I'm itchy, what do I do? Or how did, um, I don't know, gosh, I, how do I clean properly? Or is a bath with bubbles bad for me? Or, you know, does it, I mean, there's so, so many and they can get pretty intimate, which is, it's unfortunate because, They're also very real and it's just a body part. And there's this difference between men and women where men's body parts are outside of their bodies. So it's a lot less of a mystery than this body part that's sort of tucked up inside and we don't see it. We kind of think about it being inside our bodies, but it's really not. It's kind of like the inside of the mouth, but that's a place that we can look at and see and we brush our teeth and we do other things. And there's sort of this common cultural hygiene that we do. And and some of those same thoughts and ideals have been applied to vaginal health and, it really doesn't work that way. Um, just like we don't wash our mouths with soap, we really don't want to do any kind of washing on the inside. The body's really good at regulating and pH balances everything. And that's where we circle back to probiotics and we have found that um, eating yogurt, plain, not with sugar or fruit or anything else in it, but plain yogurt uh, or, or kefir or um, some of the other fermented foods, but especially the ones that are lactobacillus based, are very helpful at regulating vaginal health. And I remember doing a talk on this in residency way back, and I had a male colleague raise his hand and he said, Well, I don't understand if you're eating it how does that affect the vagina? And I said, well, it, because it's basically open borders down there, right? <laughs> for everybody, males and females, everything's migrating front and back and and different ways. And for women, that's a very important thing. It's why women get urinary tract infections far more frequently than men. The bacterial transfer is about the same. Um, but, and it has nothing to do with hygiene. It's just that when everything's that close together, um, and there's not a particular barrier or border, you're, there's going to be shared flora. But men have a very long urethra, right? So the ex, the exit of the penis all the way up to the bladder is a much longer transit than for women who have a very tiny, short urethra, right? The exit to their bladder is, is kind of tucked up inside. So that tube is very, very short, um, meaning the bacteria just don't have very far to go to enter the bladder. And that's why a lot of women end up with UTIs after sex, because um, even if it's very hygienic, you know it, it doesn't matter. it's just that there's rubbing, there's friction, there's irritation, and there's a lot of migration. Um, so, so we have to be careful. And baths, similarly, anything that can be irritating and change the pH of the vagina can make all kinds of um, imbalances happen. And that is you know, either making it a less acid environment so that lactobacillus can't grow very well. and we think about like, you know, uh, yogurt is tart for a, for a reason. Some of that is the, the acid and lactobacillus grows very well in that acid-based environment. And that's same with the vagina and vaginal health. Um, when we have an imbalance in that, then other bacteria that are naturally there, and that's okay, but they tend to overgrow. And yeast is one of those things too. Candida is something that lives on all of our bodies, men and women but when the um, flora, as we call it, are disrupted or out of balance, then yeast is very opportunistic and just very aggressive. So it doesn't take much to grow pretty quickly. Uh, If anybody's having any kind of Itching, discharge changes, pain with intercourse, anything, anything. I recommend going to see your doctor right away. There's a few different things. Sometimes it's yeast and over-the-counter things work, sometimes it's not. Um, bacterial vaginosis or BV is a, a really common one. and something people don't want to talk about because there's this idea that it's some kind of STD, but it's really not. It's just an imbalance. Anybody can get it. Um, from any number of different ways uh, so there's there's different things that we can check out.
0: yeah, absolutely. and I think it's really about getting more comfortable with talking about these types of things. Women's health has been kind of pushed under a rock for a really long time in stigmas like you can't use the word vagina or it's kind of got this weird connotation to it and people get all cringy and, really our vaginal health is what brings new life into this world. It's what keeps everything going. And so why is vaginal health really something that is hush hush? You know, it's not something that I learned from my mom. Certainly, you know, vaginal hygiene wasn't something that I was taught. And they do a really poor job, unfortunately, in you know, sex ed, when you're first learning, I think it was in fifth grade that we had sex ed. And it's like, you don't learn really anything about vaginal health or hygiene because those folks, for whatever reason, could be a good one, don't necessarily talk about those topics. And so, as Elizabeth said, go see somebody if you feel something's off because it could be a really simple fix. Or it could be something where, hey, maybe you have really intense pain and you need to get tested for something more serious, but it's an important topic and it looks like you get a variety of questions. And since everyone is so different, I just encourage you guys to, as listeners, go have your integrative health and wellness appointment um, with Dr. Elizabeth, if you can, and or her partner, Jay Stevens, or, you know, another local integrative functional healthcare or holistic healthcare practice in your area because it is so important that we start talking about these topics and that we don't ignore our healthcare, especially when it's something that can be fixed by our diet or pre and probiotics and just really getting our gut microbiome in check.
1: Certainly important to get um, to talk to somebody if you're having any kind of issues. Don't wait. Waiting never really helps.
0: And and staying on the topic of of women's health, I wanted to jump into estrogen and mm-hmm. um, potential you know impacts of birth control or types of birth control that can have certain hormone hormones in them or, or uh, affect your hormones in certain ways and kind of what your thoughts are there.
1: Birth control is also um, a really critical and, and pretty massive topic. So there's lots of different methods. Um, but what you're talking about specifically is hormonal birth control so that kind of excludes the first handful so abstinence barrier methods of any kind um those would be your most common uh, or excuse me so, uh, other categories but hormonal birth control there are still lots of categories so there's pills patches uh injections that's depo um intravaginal so a ring and then in the uterus the iud's of different kinds um, only one is not hormonal. That would be the Paragard copper-based IUD that works by uh, kind of local irritation, but is not hormonal. Uh, and then Nexplanon is something that go, or used to be called Implanon, but Nexplanon is a new one. Um, goes in the arm. Um, each of those has its own kind of constellation of hormone, but they're they're all one and or so either estrogen and progesterone, or they are only progesterone. We never, never, never give estrogen by itself because of risk of, um, estrogen is a growth hormone, so we're really growing things like breast tissue and endometrial tissue, meaning if we give you too much estrogen and there's no progesterone to balance it, there's more of a risk for things like breast cancers and ovarian and uterine cancers. So that's why we don't give estrogen by itself. Progesterone can be given by itself, but there's more data coming out that that too is probably not good to give unopposed or by itself. Um, But at present, that's still uh, very widely used. So that would be the mini pill that's often given to women after delivery. Um, Theoretically doesn't reduce breast milk supply very much, except I have seen it it do it many times. And the unfortunate thing about the progesterone mini pill is it's, it's much less effective. So if you're going to put hormones in your body with the expectation that you're not going to get pregnant, then that's probably not the best choice, um, unless there's a very particular reason for you to do it. Uh, other pills are both estrogen and progesterone. They're all almost all synthetic. So the big key between a bioidentical and a non-bioidentical hormone does not matter where it came from. If it came from um, you know, wild yam or soy or pregnant horse pee or all kinds of different or, or manufactured in a lab. That's not what makes it one or the other. It's does it match our estrogen and progesterone perfectly chemically or not? If it matches like a lock and key, that's bioidentical. And if it doesn't, then it's not. So most synthetic uh, or, or most. Um, Pill based and birth control based hormones are not bioidentical. Bioidenticals are, are more expensive. So things that are less expensive are usually not. Um, the big key with birth control pills and all of the hormonal birth controls is two parts. One, they're largely not bioidentical, meaning our bodies are processing them, but they don't go through the lock and key process perfectly. So we're going to run into some issues with them not being metabolized ideally and causing some other effects that are not intended. And for many women, this are things like weight gain. Uh, Sometimes they help acne. Sometimes they make it worse. Sometimes it's um, overt fatigue. I have seen depression. They can kill libido. Um, There's so many factors, but those are the big ones. It's usually weight gain, fatigue, lack of motivation. Um, mood changes and low libido. So all of those can come from birth control all by itself. That it doesn't affect everybody, but it can. It can be pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Um, the the others, so like Nuva ring and IUD, those are mostly uh, progesterone only based, um, and in many ways they're less invasive. They're they're in the body. They're invasive to the body, but you're not eating a hormone and having it go have to be metabolized through the liver, what we call first pass metabolism. And that really changes hormones. Um, so ideally it's also almost impossible to take oral birth control pills perfectly. Almost impossible. I'm like super type A and it was, it's really hard. (laughs) You know, you really have to take them within the same hour every single day without fail for them to work perfectly, uh, which is very, very difficult. Um, and all of this is is a difficult conversation for me as a professional woman because birth control is also what has largely allowed women to do things like get educations and have jobs and still be married or still have relationships you know so it, it's been a massive shift in our society that women don't are not sort of relegated to pregnancy all the time unless they're completely abstinent which sometimes they don't have a choice right that's where bad things happen to to good people and birth control has been um, has been life changing for many many women so it's not to disparage or to say well what now <laughs> it, you know it's so bad what else do i do it's it's always just knowing what the risks are knowing what the benefits are, making that choice, talking with a provider to say, can I do this for a short period of time? Can I take a break for a while if I don't need it? Um, Are there other options for me? In terms of least risky, the Paragard IUD tends to be the kind of gold standard for functional medicine because there are no hormones involved, but there is copper. It is invasive. It's a procedure a gynecologist or your family physician can put it in. but procedures have risks. And for a lot of women, it makes bleeding worse and heavier. And that's just an intolerable reality. Um, I had one and loved it, but every, every body is different. You know Um, it's just important to know that there are in fact, a lot of options and that you don't have to be on something forever and ever. And that it's okay to say that you feel bad. That's, it's very real. Um, And to know that you're doing something for you for a reason that's okay too.
0: Yeah. No, I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm glad that worked for you. Is that, is copper, does, is that safe for your body to have the copper in there? Or is that, you know, a metal that would affect something, a different area of your body?
1: A little of both. So it is a, I mean, it's, it's tiny, tiny, tiny amount, right? So it is there. It is irritating locally to your body. I would say if someone has, Um, a copper storage disease like Wilson's, I would not put a copper IUD in that person. But most of us can metabolize metals pretty well. We do it all day long. Um, Heavy metal toxicity is very real, but our exposures to aluminum, for example, we don't think about at all and that's in our deodorant and we're swiping it into our armpits and our sweat glands all day every day Um, massive aluminum i have seen toxicity and it and it happens so uh you know mercury is in almost everything we eat and we have to be careful there um lead and arsenic are in our water and our food so there's metals everywhere and in terms of risk this tiny little coil of copper um, is pretty low so not a major problem, you're not really going to absorb and store massive amounts of copper from the perigard IUD, but because it is oxidizing inside the uterus, it, uh, it that's what makes it what we call a hostile environment. And that sounds really awful, but that is exactly what we're trying to do, right? We, we want to, you, we want your uterine lining to say, there's no way we're implanting a baby here because this is not okay. Uh, and there's not a lot of ways to achieve that in a way that's perfectly healthy for a human body because a perfectly healthy human body is fertile. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a balance there. Um, but as far as they go, it's, it's irritating and that's why it can be Uh, even as teeny tiny as it is. That's why it can be a problem for women who are prone to heavier periods to begin with. Um, But for many women who have normal or regular or light periods, it's a great option. It doesn't affect your cycles at all. You will cycle every month as you normally do. It's a great way to find out where your cycles are without any kind of external hormonal influence. Um, and, And often a great one that I like to recommend for women who are thinking about fertility at some point. The Mirena or Skyla or some of the other IUDs are also great for that. Um, It's basically you pull it and you can be fertile pretty quickly. For most women compared to oral birth control pills or Depo, the injection tends to take the longest. I mean, that can be a year or more for your body to re-regulate and then be able to achieve fertility if you wanted to. Um, so it's important to be aware that some of these, and that's not always true. People can get pregnant while on birth control, right? It happens all the time. So there's always balance, but it's its heartbreaking when someone has wanted or waited so long and then they finally are ready to try and it takes forever or it doesn't work. Um, so it's always helpful to know kind of where you're at and it's helpful to know what your family history is. If, uh, you know, I think, Almost every woman in my family got pregnant through some kind of birth control. <laughs> so I was aware that fertility was in the eye in my particular family. So preventing pregnancy was more important for me early on. Um, but there are many women who know that, that there are the other side, the other issues, or lots of miscarriages, or PCOS, um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, or uh, irregular periods, anything like that. Be aware. And I would just want to talk with someone who, who's having an honest conversation with you about your options.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad that there there is more open talk about options and that it is something that we're driving. You know, obviously it needs work and, and you're one of those wonderful human beings that is pushing the message forward. But when I was heading off to college, there weren't a lot of options. Uh, this was around 2005. And, you know, my mom sat me down. And I mean, there, I mean, she, bless her heart. She's a great mom. But it wasn't really common to have the, you know, sex talks back in that day, right? And so it was an awkward conversation where she was like, hey, you're going to college, you're going on birth control, uh, taking you to the doctor, cool. Um, and so I was just given this pill um, and sent off to college, right? So first time I'm taking birth control, I'm not in my natural environment, I'm in this dorm room, I completely changed in terms of my uh, physical health, I gained 15, 20 pounds, I was also, cheerleading, so that was not necessarily acceptable. It was actually frowned mm. upon. So, for me, I was I was very much affected by birth control, and and only took it for a year and a half, very irregularly. Um, often went off of it because it was so it impacted me so much. And so, after I went off of birth control, I was completely scared of any other type of. Uh, birth control method. Um, mm-hmm. So I, you know, went and got my, you know, normal gynecology appointment every single year. They would always try to push birth control on me, and I would always decline. And 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 I've never taken any form of birth control since. And. Frankly, didn't know that there were this many options until I met you a few months ago. So it's kind of one of those things where you know you can do your own research. There is the internet, but there's always horror stories online too. So uh, yes, right. the internet <laughs> is a
1: wonderful, a wide and wonderful place, full of resources. Yeah. But in many ways, there's so much, and there's so much that's one person's story, and very mm-hmm. much like other forms of media, often. The people who are the loudest are the ones who had something terrible happen and we really don't hear from, hey, I did this thing and it was great, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so the resources that are available will absolutely be skewed towards the, the horror stories. And it's important to hear those as well. Uh, medicine often does the opposite of saying, nope, everything's fine and don't read the, this is my favorite, don't read the inserts because you might have those side effects like, yeah, <laughs> that's what the inserts are for. We should talk about it that comes with the drug. Yeah. can we can we you know talk about how nausea and vomiting might happen to you or if you get some bizarre symptoms? I, I would like to know. Um, I mean, I think twice in my career have I truly met somebody who had a mental pathology and read, you know, the the drug inserts and and couldn't take anything because they would have every single side effect, Mm -hmm. like twice of of the thousands of people, thousands that I have treated, it's important to know risks and benefits because if you don't know, you're either going to do something that hurts you um, or you're really not consenting properly to the treatment that's being given to you. Mm -hmm. And I have a major problem with that.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we could go on about women's health literally all <laughs> night. So moving on to something that I have kind of been researching on my end, which is probably dangerous, but and I've heard a lot about it, and, and people have you know talked about it on other podcasts, but I wanted to see if you had any knowledge on stem cell therapy and any benefits or challenges. Who should get this? What does it help? And this is more of something that's been kind of a personal topic for me because I have a lot of old injuries from being an athlete in college and really working my body over time and wanting to see if there's any sort of benefit to stem cell therapy. Mm,
1: That is a very exciting and cutting edge topic. So stem cells are, there There are a few different kinds, right? Um, But it's very important to to be aware that, like any treatment and therapy, there are do- there are those who do it well, and there are those who don't. Um, so like anything, it is very important to always do your homework and your research and not to judge all stem cell therapies by a news article of someone who injected it into someone's eyeball and made them blind, right? That's not how most stem cell therapy goes. Um, there are always, always unscrupulous providers, but in general, what we're looking for is ways to, this is where optimization and next level human medicine is headed, right? How do we take advantage of things that we know in the body by taking this next level and biohacking? We can we can look for natural methods and natural processes and, and reactions in the body and then isolate them and and utilize them in a different way and stem cells are absolutely one of those Um, there's different kinds the FDA has recently cracked down on what we call body harvesting so any way of removing stem cells from your own body and then using them again uh, for whatever reason because of various um, providers across the country and in the world doing this I think in a less safe way that's that's what the FDA has gone after is the the method of collection uh, which is really unfortunate because ultimately they're going to be the safest right they're your stem cells and your DNA that we can extract and then put back into your body but um, that is becoming less available and so uh, you know there are many still where you can order from a place that collects umbilical stem cells um, and these are to kind of go back to the basics of what a stem cell is they're they're early cells that uh so so when a fetus is being made a teeny tiny baby everything's a stem cell right those first couple it, that those first few cells can turn into anything in the entire body and that is just completely fascinating that you go from two cells to an entire body with nerves and eyeballs and retinal cells and cones and rods and cilia, you know, I mean, everything, everything. But once they become those body parts, essentially, you don't regress, you don't then go backwards and become uh, have potential again, you have turned into a, you know, a blood vessel lining cell. Um, and, and now your endothelium and that's just that uh, so there are a few places in the body where stem cells remain but they're still a little bit farther down that pathway so those very sort of perfect stem cells very very early on are really only coming from embryo and we don't we don't do that we don't we ever that's frowned upon so we're not using those um, umbilical is something that is a medical waste product right so once it's been, Used and the baby doesn't need anymore, and the mom doesn't need anymore. It just either goes in the trash, or we can collect from that and do something with it. And so that at present, that's where most stem cells are coming from. If you're going to order them and use them, um, it is it is extremely effective for certain things. And like everything that we see in the world, from like chia seeds to CBD, right? It, there are people who say it cures everything from depression to cancer and makes you sleep and increases libido right it it, nothing does everything it's not possible and stem cells are similar but they are phenomenally powerful specifically as you said jessica for athletic injury biomechanical problems and things like arthritis um, or uh, degeneration of joint tissue phenomenal there are many other things that we can use stem cell therapy for Um, Hit or miss depends on the person, on the situation, on what we're looking for. We have certainly used them in our clinic for a myriad of neurodegenerative, um, autoimmune-based illnesses, um, dementia, with, with varying degrees of success per person. But the ones um, that reliably have success every time are, you know, they come because they have arthritis in their right knee. And then a couple years later, they're back to the other side because they say it just worked extraordinarily well. They didn't have to have the surgery. The orthopedic was amazed. The PT was pleased and they're off living their lives uh, without having needed a total knee replacement. So um, stem cells really helpful. But what's really super cool is that the way a stem cell works is by emitting these little signals right so so what is the stem cell doing it's not it's not entering your joint and then like growing like a new skin in your joint that's not what it does it goes in a lot like probiotics you know we don't give probiotics and then they seed the gut and then grow and become their own population it they're tourists they come in they give off some signals and they move on and um and stem cells are very, very similar. They, we, we put them in a particular area. They're tourists. They, they enter and give off signal, and then the body clears them out. They don't live there forever. And so, what's awesome is that signal out of stem cell are what we call exosomes. Um, and exosomes are are the the signal that comes out of these little vacuoles in the stem cell, and they don't have DNA. So we can actually harvest just the exosomes now from various sources, umbilical being one of them, and deploy just that. So they they can take these exosomes and then kind of um, manipulate them in the lab to grow lots and lots and lots, you know, billions per, you know, little vial. And we can put just the signal in the same knee. And instead of relying on the, a, a limited number of stem cell population, hoping that they're all viable and that they release these exosomes we can just give the exosome therapy and uh, and again you're not taking somebody else's dna and putting it in your body you're not taking somebody else's cells and putting them in your body it's just the signal that tells your body to regenerate it's fascinating so exosomes are on the cutting edge and we are just getting started with those in our office too
0: Wow. Okay. I had no idea. I know that it's kind of a touchy subject because there are so many regulations about it and it's one of those things where I've had conversations with people and they're like, "I'm going to fly to Panama and, you know, <laughs> for for those people how right. you know, how safe is that that they would go to a different country to get something that might not be so safe, right? So I, I don't know. Right. I, I don't know if the regulations are helping or hurting, but, um, but I'm glad that we're on cutting edge of it. Yeah. It's
1: so difficult. Medical tourism is very real. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are, there are great places in the world that you can go and travel to and have an extraordinary therapy. And it's not necessarily, you know, there's a lot of maligning and, and well, if the FDA doesn't approve it, then it must be evil. And sometimes that's true. (laughs) And sometimes it's really not, um, Mm -hmm. you know, like, in america i think we get a little bit on a high horse too about like well you know I mean, prime example, our food is some of the least safe in the entire world. It's also some of the most regulated, but in a pretty terrible way. (laughs) So, you know, the medical system is not any different. There are are rules in place for a reason. We want to protect people. And it is not to say that that one should go to a black market to get an organ. That is a very bad idea. (laughs) Um, But there are times where regulations are not serving the patient, they're serving the industry, and it's really difficult to tease apart sometimes where that came from and what's going on because those those kinds of um, th- those reasons are buried very very deeply under layers of bureaucracy. So it's so it's difficult. But in general, I don't recommend that people go to um, other countries to have medical therapies unless it is a well researched and, uh, and a well known place.
0: Yeah, yeah. It just it just made. I, I didn't realize that, you know, you couldn't utilize your own DNA, um, which just seems so strange to me because that would be the, the most beneficial, right? Or or maybe Logically. not. I don't know. <laughs> the most logical, I guess, is the right, right way. But yeah, it makes sense. And I'm glad that there's exosome therapy. And my mind is blown. I'm learning so much. So so thank you. And I, you did mention a few things that stem cell therapies might be good for, like degeneration of joint tissue. Are there any other things that you think people should look into it if they have, you know, any other types of injuries?
1: Mm. One of the others that has the most evidence is actually traumatic brain injury. So if somebody's had a series of concussions or they've been in some kind of accident, uh, stem cell therapy has been shown to tremendously improve uh, concussion recovery, especially if we couple it with... um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy which is a whole other thing entirely uh, and more widely available in the united states but you basically go into this chamber that's pressurized to ideally two atmospheres so you need a metal walled chamber excuse me chamber to do that um, there's some soft ones that only get up to about an, one atmosphere so you pressurize the air and you are being given 100 percent oxygen for a period of time and you do that day after day for you know in in full hbot therapy you're doing it five days a week for like four weeks and then you take a break and then you do another five days a week, for four weeks. So you're ultimately getting 40 treatments, uh, which is very time consuming, but extremely effective. Um, and then there's some other things we can do too, like microcurrent therapy. So that's like a Beamer mat, B E M E R. And that is its own kind of electromagnetic frequency. It's not bad for you the way other EMF is, but these microcurrents can improve um uh, vascular tissue such that blood flow in the tiny, tiny little blood vessels like the capillaries improves and that we know. So blood flow, oxygen, um, the signals from stem cells that encourage regeneration. So all of those three things together, you can imagine the kind of effects that that would have on the brain. And we do see that to be true, uh, which is pretty special.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm so fascinated by stem cells and now the, the exosome therapy that you just described. And I hope that it becomes something that's a little bit more widely accepted, not only with FDA regulations, but also with the public, because I've heard some, you know, again, like you mentioned, horror stories of people going to another country and something awful happens, like you mentioned, they get injected into their eyeball and they're blind. So I don't think that those are the horror stories that we should be necessarily always listening to. And I think that stem cell therapy is definitely going to be something that is huge in terms of creating longevity in our life and being able to live without um, these athletic injuries and, and other injuries that may ail people within their joints, especially their knees and wrists. So thank you so much for, for sharing that information. And I actually have more of a personal question for you. I wanted to know what, and and it may have changed because I know you're pregnant, but I wanted to know what your morning routine, your daily routines are, any habits that you can give us from your personal life? So kind of getting out of the doctor mode and and more into the Elizabeth, what do you do on a day to day to create the best habits for your life?
1: I love it. Um, So the full disclosure is I am far from a perfect human being, right? (laughs) And there are days where I take my own advice, and I feel like I have a great day, and I sleep really great. And there are many days where I don't for any number of reasons so this is definitely to be taken with a grain of salt I will not um, perpetuate this sort of like Instagram reality where everything is perfect and some some I, I hate those articles in the magazines where the celebrity gives their day and it's like this ex- insanely perfect you know, efficient use of time. And, and anyway, so not me. Um, I am, I'm a very real person, but my day, uh, it, it is very different now being married with um, a business and pregnant and a golden doodle who sleeps in my bed and totally disrupts my sleep, but I love her and it's worth it to me. <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, it's very different than probably the prime time in my life when I was the most optimized and dialed in in terms of my lifestyle was residency. When I lived alone, I had no pets. I had nobody to take care of but myself and I was forced to be efficient because I was working hundred hours a week. And that sounds really dramatic. Um, but if anybody's ever actually worked 100 hours in a week, you know that at some point you're home and you have to decide between eating and taking a shower. Uh, and so you, you, choose. And you are very, very efficient. And I, I did not eat into my sleep time in that I, I knew that sleep for me was critical with the Meniere's disease and some other things that if I don't sleep, it things get really bad and I'm, I'm unable to function. So it wasn't really a choice. It was, I have to be as close to perfect as I can in my lifestyle, or I won't be able to, to do this again tomorrow. Um, and at that time it was much more regimented. So I woke every single day at 445, I did yoga for ten minutes. I made my tea or coffee; it didn't really matter. I'm not anti coffee, but it depended on the day. I lived in Tucson, so I've got everything from a farmers market. Um, I would go to the hospital, and I'd be there at five thirty in the morning or earlier, and I'd be there usually until seven at night. Um, and then you get so no, there's very little daytime. But even then, I would make time to either get to a window and stare outside for a minute (laughs) or get outside for a a hot second if that's all I could do and breathe some actual air and see some actual sunshine. Um, When I got home, I would take shoes and socks off and stand in the dirt for a period of time and get that grounding. At the end of the day, it was a way to let go of the work day, Um, would get in some kind of calisthenics exercises and it is amazing what you can do in seven or eight minutes. If you do it every single day and that's i used to do the imam every minute on the minute so a minute i would do push-ups and then i'd take a break for like i don't know 15 seconds or something and then i would do as many squats as i could do and take a break and then as many burpees as i could do and take a break and you're really sweaty at the end of seven or eight minutes um, would shower would probably do some work because i had to do that too and then was very very careful about letting go of that day and that's where i would practice my meditation every night and i went to bed like clockwork because because it was regimented Um, my life is extremely different now I have a wonderful husband who makes my life better in just about every possible way um, except my daily routine <laughs> <laughs> because he's another human being who operates on a different schedule than I do um, and my sweet dog same and she you know when she has needs it, that's just what it is and she was up at whatever o'clock this morning puking up a sponge because she ate it like three days ago. And, oh my gosh. You know, so you, you don't ignore that and say, no, my sleep's important. <laughs> mm-hmm. You go deal with it. Um, so sometimes life gets in the way, but it's really important. What I still do, uh, regularly and every day is I take moments of what I love to call micro self-care. And even if, you know, I didn't, you know, I, I try to wake every morning and do some stretching and breathing. It's not a full on yoga. It's not especially prenatal down dog has become very awkward. (laughs) Um, So I don't do that. But I do what feels good. I'm not forcing something because I think I should do it. I do what my body likes in that moment and what feels soothing to my mind and what brings me joy. And I will always, always emphasize to everybody that they do what brings them lightheartedness and joy and nourishment and a sense of feeling good. Um, And the way to do that kind of throughout the day is know that it doesn't have to be scheduled necessarily, right? Those are bigger things. They're great taking baths and Epsom salt baths and sauna and yoga and biking and going out with friends and um, dedicated meditation practices are all great. But a lot of times we don't have time for that right in this moment. And that gets back to that kind of idea of like, uh, like I'm curled up on the floor right now trying to balance and I've got 800 million things compartmentalized. Ain't nobody got time for yoga today, right? And Mm -hmm. that's when we take a moment and just say, what I do have time for is while I make this cup of coffee, I'm going to stand here and just make this cup of coffee and not do anything else and not think about anything else. And I'm going to breathe in the smell of the coffee and do a sensory exercise where I feel the warmth of the cup in my hand and I smell the aromas and I take just a moment to close my eyes and appreciate that I have this moment. And that's just a very different second (laughs) than rushing and not engaging and not being aware of that moment. Mm. So that I still do all day, every day.
0: Yeah. And I like that you give yourself some grace because <laughs> anyway, yes. you have it's to, I mean, everything. we have to, yeah. And thank you for sharing. Cause I know that's more on the personal side. Sure. What, what do you feel like is the biggest hurdle or shift we need to overcome as a society in order to make integrative health more available to people?
1: Oh, it's really hard um, to answer because there's so many things. I, I mean, when I was, 10 years younger in my career I thought coping skills were everything and and then later in my career I thought it was access and now I think it's perception more than anything else because like we just talked about these things are accessible and a lot of it's free um but there's a perception that it doesn't work or that you have to go all in or that you have to be super crunchy granola to do it um the idea that there are different kinds of medicine is still mind blowing to me. Like, why do we call this one conventional and this one alternative and this one integrative and this one functional? When really all they are, they're all they're all here to help us feel better. They're just different tools in the toolbox. And I think that is probably the number one hurdle, um, which is really difficult because it's pride based, right? It's it's one group of people says that their way is better than some other group of people and the only way you can be better is to be is to have a barrier between you and someone else and that just needs to go away we, yeah. we are not here to battle each other I am not here to brand myself <laughs> Right? I am here to share and to teach and to grow um, and we're all here to be our best um, so I think that if that could go away and we could take down those walls and and make things accessible to everybody that's really what it's about
0: yeah I love that and you know it's so funny that you mentioned that because I was thinking in my head you're right there are free services out there you know there there are people like myself who pay a lot to know about data about their health and gadgets Mm -hmm. and um and love the science behind it but then there's also free totally. yoga that you can find all around your community and you don't need the data to back that. That's good for you. You know, and, totally.
1: and YouTube is an incredible resource. Yeah, we <laughs> I have learned learn so much about Tai Chi through YouTube. I have done prenatal yoga through YouTube, um, free apps. So one of my favorite workout apps is, uh, the Johnson and Johnson seven minute workout and you just get on it's free. And it's <laughs> this guy with this great, like Australian accent teaching you how to do mountain climbers properly (laughs) um and it's really effective there's plenty that we can do there's great resources i mean the whole 30 is one of my very favorite hands down diets for just about everybody because it's so adaptable to you if you're you know eat this way or that way or you can't have nightshades or you don't eat pork or whatever you can make it yours but the point is the camaraderie and the community and the lifestyle and not eating garbage Uh, There's a ton of resources that are totally free. So all of that is out there and available to us.
0: Yeah. Um, And that's
1: really cool stuff too, if you want to take it to the next level, but start there, start with the foundations.
0: Yeah. And, and that being said, you know, uh, is there any books or, or book that you would recommend or that you've gifted most to other people in terms of mm. health optimization or wellness? You did mention a book earlier, but I'm not sure if it's one that you've kind of that's really impacted you. It,
1: it has really impacted me. That was Crossing the Unknown Sea by David White, um, work as a pilgrimage of identity or something like that. A, a marvelous, not health related at all, but great in terms of sort of character building and understanding who we are and, and what we're doing. Um, in terms of health and wellness, there are, there are there are a handful. So at the end of every report that I write for my patients for exams, uh, there's a book list and, and reading and it gets updated all the time. But the tops on my list lately have been um, The Circadian Code by uh, Dr. Sachin Panda. So that one's wonderful in terms of uh, basics and daytime, nighttime and sleep architecture and meal timing and intermittent fasting. So a lot of things that we talked about today, um, big, big fan, the circadian code. Um, what the heck should I eat? It's a pretty great one by Dr. Mark Hyman. So if you're really confused about the basics and, you know, vegan or pegan or paleo or autoimmune or <laughs> brain brain or bulletproof or whatever, it, it, okay. it's a great, great place to start that is true for most people. So I love that one. Um, And then in terms of like personal growth, there are two. One is a little bit old school and I, it is hands down the one that I have personally gifted to the most people. I used to buy the used bookstores out of it (laughs) and gift it to every woman I could get my hands on to give it to. Um, And that's called women who run with the wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes, a PhD in, um, Jungian psychoanalytics and a master storyteller. And it is, it gets weird. So be prepared for that. (laughs) It is really gets to like deep indigenous roots of stories and fairy tales. And it is also one of the most powerful pieces of literature I've ever read. Uh, It talks a lot about the transition times for women. And I think it's something that is important to reread uh, at different times in your life. And then the other one that I have loved lately is work anything by Brene Brown. She's just a phenom and, um, and just so approachable and digestible in her work that it, it's not uh, male or female. It's really any, anyone. So the one that I've loved lately is Braving the Wilderness by Dr. Brene Brown.
0: I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. Um, huge. If, you, if you can't tell, our <laughs> title of our podcast is Bold and Vulnerable. Was... And so, yeah, we love Brene, huge fans. Well, thanks for sharing that. So I'm going to link all of those books in the show notes and we'll link all of your media ways to find you. But what would an appointment look like with your practice? So if somebody reached out to you and said, hey, Dr. Elizabeth, I want to schedule an appointment, what do you actually do at your office and what can people expect
1: yeah. Cool. Um, so in terms of what I do at Essential Health and Wellness, a lot of it's teaching based. So this kind of lifestyle medicine is my passion. It's what I do all day, every day. We take care of people in a primary care setting, but primarily what I do is um, to. to Two avenues. One is consultation. So that would be, and at present, we do that for $400 for an hour and somebody can bring in any labs that they've already had, any history that they have, um, notes from other providers, anything at all. And we sit and go through all of that together. Um, I check you out. We talk about your story and I can put all that together and help you formulate a plan and my perspective and opinion. Um, and that can be done kind of as needed or once or ongoing or whatever. And the other thing that people come to us most often for is a deep dive exam. You know, we're used to these annuals, and that's definitely an air quotes <laughs> from out in the community, which are sort of like, have you had your tetanus? Have you had a pap smear? Are you old enough for a colonoscopy? Uh, sounds great. Bye. <laughs> and it's just very, very limited. Um, and instead, you know, this is really where I get to bring all of the Uh, My knowledge base and what we do, and data, and get to do that with you. Um, And there are different levels that we do that at, but please give us a call if you're interested in that kind of of inquiry and deep dive into yourself. Uh, And then, if you are not in the Raleigh area and are looking for a provider, uh, we have done all of our functional training through the A4M, the American Academy of Anti-Aging and Regenerative Medicine. But A4M, number you can go there and search for providers in your area.
0: Awesome. That was my next question. Where can somebody oh. not in North Carolina find you know, <laughs> yes. a, a reputable source? So they would just search A4M and search any of the providers that come up? Exactly. Okay. Awesome. I think there's
1: a provider search tab.
0: Oh, got it. Yeah, I was actually looking earlier to see if I could find something um to link and there was a functional um practitioner site where you can type in your zip code and it will come up with all functional um doctors who practice in the area. But I noticed that not a lot of them have the um certifications that, you know, Jay Stevens mm-hmm. has, and that I know, I know that you're getting as well. So I, I was just kind of curious as mm-hmm. to who who to go to and how to get to to people. So is that the one site that you would say is is most reliable?
1: I think I think so. Um, the Institute for Functional Medicine is really the other thought leader in the functional medicine world. Um, like I said, integrative medicine is certainly out there. I appreciated my fellowship, but even from the graduates there, it really runs the gamut. So it's difficult to find a a level of consistency. Um, And that's true of of anything in this field. So A4M seems to be the most consistent in terms of caliber. IFM as well is out there. um, And there are a few others, but that seems to be the best.
0: Awesome, thank you. Um, Well, I'm excited to send everyone there and I'm actually getting my deep dive. Um, I just made an appointment today with you actually. Oh, so yes. I'll I'll see- excited. <laughs> I know. I'm very excited. So I'll see you in January. I'm super pumped. I'm flying to oh, Raleigh. That's
1: wonderful. Yeah. You'll have to report back very honestly. So I take feedback extremely seriously. <laughs> um, I think part of this came from my journey, right? Of being able to, you know what? So I, when I figured out this, out this blue dye situation, I immediately sent messages to three different doctors that I had seen that told me there was nothing and they weren't sure. And it certainly wasn't food, dah, 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 da. da, 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 da. Um, and nickel and what I was eating was part of the problem. And I heard back from none of them. Like no one got my message. No one was interested in saying, you know, Hey, that's great. You know, thank you for the feedback. I'm glad you found healing. Like that would have been so powerful. And for me, that's everything. Like, how can I continue to help people if I think I already know it all? Can't Mm -hmm. possibly. So anyway, I'm super excited.
0: I'm very excited. It's going to be my first kind of, I'm going to do the deep dive. uh, Hopefully like, everything you've got. So Wonderful. I'm so pumped. So before we, I let you go, one question that we ask all of our guests is what was one moment in your life where you felt most vulnerable, a, a moment that you feel like sharing that could maybe help somebody out there?
1: Oh, that's hard. <laughs> um, yeah. I, but I know it, it, it was actually towards the end of this kind of health journey, right before I found the doctor that, um, helped me with my my skin allergies and things. And at that point, I think I had seen something like 14 specialists over the course of my life and uh, and had been told summarily by all of them that it was stress-related and or in my head. Um, and, and to be clear, I went to therapy, which was marvelous, <laughs> but did not fix my rash or my belly problems or my vertigo. Um, and at that point, I really was just at a loss. And, and my mom, because moms are amazing, found a dermatologist at Brigham and women's in Boston. And she said, I asked my dermatologist and they said, you need to go to this person. I said, mom, like, I just can't, I can't go to another person and have them tell me it's in my head. (laughs) I can't hear it. Um, And I just totally felt crushed in that moment. And by the weight of all this garbage and this, you know, I'm a doctor, and I, by that point, and and I can't heal myself. I'm doing all this for other people, but I can't fix my problems, and nobody else can either. And and none of it's even real, so why bother? Um, and that moment was so profound because my tribe, my people, um, stood up and and collectively helped me get there. My my best friend and sister in the world is now my like biological sister just is my person. And she said, there is no giving up. <laughs> that is not allowed. We will fly you to Cleveland or you will go to Hopkins or you will go to Mayo or we will do whatever if this doesn't work, but you don't get to give up. Um, my fiance, now my husband said pretty much the same thing and said, well, we're here and there's an option and you can't leave the stone unturned. So we're going to do it. And it's not in your head. And we all know and believe you. Um, and you have to take the next step. My dad drove me to the appointment <laughs> and halfway through I said, dad, you should just go home. Like, I don't know why we're here. I don't want to do this. He said, stop being ridiculous because he's a fighter pilot and doesn't do emotions. <laughs> 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 and collectively my people got me there and it was, it was the appointment that changed everything. It, it didn't fix all my problems. It didn't have all the answers, but it had some. And she was the first person that didn't tell me it was in my head. Um, I actually, interesting, did not use the word stress or eczema and I just cried <laughs> a lot <laughs> to be taken seriously for once. She just looked at me and said, well, I can see it from here. So it's clearly not in your head. And that was really all I needed to hear. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, But that, that was, that was the most vulnerable part. I think moment maybe in my life where I, wow. as independent and strong as I am, just completely relied on other people to carry me to the next point.
0: Yeah, and and what what a gift to receive, you know. It was incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Especially as women, we have a hard time receiving. We're the givers and And so receiving for women is often quite difficult. So I'm just so -hmm. grateful for your team that rallied around you. That's really amazing. And I can't say enough, I I moved to Massachusetts recently. Um, Well, I I was in California, Northern California, where the healthcare is excellent as well. But in in Massachusetts, in the Boston area, the, the healthcare in this area is just through the roof exceptional. So I'm kind of glad to hear that it was Brigham Women's and, and yes. what, what a, what a really uh, amazing blessing that we have so many options. I wanted to ask you as well, how can people in North Carolina find your practice? You know, I used to live in North Carolina. I have this podcast fan base that's out there and I know they're going to want this information and they're going to, you know, yell at me for not telling them earlier. Um, so <laughs> where can I find you website, social media? What should we link in the show notes for everyone?
1: Oh, that would be wonderful um so i work with a group called essential health and wellness and it was founded by dr james stevens he still owns and operates the Cary location and i own and operate the north raleigh location so right uh, at, at present we are located at um on falls valley drive just off the falls of New exit on 540. but ehwell dot lcom is our website And you can email me at elizabeth at ehwell.com. That works really well too. uh, I have an Instagram, sarakowski, so Dr. Sarakowski, and I like putting things on there. Uh, It's not particularly curated or crafted or filtered or anything else. It's mostly just snippets of my life and often my dog. Um, but, But I try to get some good tidbits in there about healthy living and a lot of things that we talked about today.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your social media and your website and your email. And I will definitely link all of those books as well as links to website, Instagram, all the good things in our show notes so that the listeners can go ahead and easily one click away, find you and find your practice and potentially schedule their appointment. So thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. It's been a blast. Um, I, I hope I didn't go too much down new rando rabbit hole. But uh, I had a patient last year told me that my brain was something like Pandora's box. <laughs> so sometimes it gets a little difficult to I love write, it. I love write different it. things in. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. And, and I've, I've had a blast. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Bold and Vulnerable Podcast. For more information on today's speaker, please visit us at boldandvulnerablepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Let's keep spreading the love by being bold
1: and vulnerable. Thank you. We love you.